here. Hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Simon Taylor and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Mr. Kai Sheffield, head of crypto at Visa. How are you doing, Kai? I am fantastic. Excited for the show. I can't believe it's just the two of us that this is going to be fun. Well, you know, we want to put ourselves on the spot, humble ourselves with some predictions, and that's what today's all about. It is our annual prediction show. Uh, we wanted to talk about what 2022 is going to hold for us. Is crypto going to skyrocket? Is it going to crash? Is NFT going to become extremely mainstream? Is Jamie Dimon going to buy some Bitcoin? We just don't know. Um, we're also going to discuss the relationship between big banks, fintech, and crypto, and how all of that kind of comes together um, at the intersection of fintech and DeFi. We'll cover a lot more as well. But before we get started, like the bankless guys do this caveat really well, we are potentially going to be making predictions here and some of that will involve things like price. Please do not base any of your investment decisions on anything you hear here. Please do your own research and never invest money you can uh, cannot afford to lose. Like that is super, super important. Look after yourself, kids. These assets are volatile and you can lose all of your money. All right, with the scary, horrible bit aside, let's get into our predictions. Actually, let's not get into our predictions. Let's get into your predictions as listeners. We put a uh, poll on Twitter asking the audience what they think is going to happen in 2022. Now, there was only sort of three main options, so um, I'll read these out for you. But I found this quite interesting. 41% of people believed that crypto was going to crash in 2022. However, 40% uh, said it was going to continue to rally. Now, how much that says about our Twitter followers, I don't know. And another whopping 14% voted for crypto payroll will be normalized. And uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on, on that. Um, and if you're missing a 5% there, listeners, that is people who voted for other uh, other things in that spectrum. So crypto payroll did really well. Um, feels like we're 50-50 on like rally or crash. What are your thoughts as you look at this poll? Yeah, I think the 50-50, the you know, on rally or crash, it's like we see this every day on Twitter that the sentiment is swinging per the day. And you know, one day everyone is just, this is the super cycle, you know, crypto's never turning back. The next day it's it's sell everything. And so it it really feels like you know we are very much split about the direction that the space is is going to go. And there's so many you know very strong tailwinds that are are, are really pushing crypto with all of the, the new fund raising announcements, uh, with the talent that's coming into the space. But it feels like there's also this, this broader macro environment that is increasingly uncertain you know, with what's happening with the, the stock market, with inflation. And so you know, crypto is now big enough that is very much you know, what it will do will be determined by you know, what happens in, in the macro uh, you know, environment. I, I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions of does crypto decouple a bit? And is there enough momentum to separate it, even if uh, you know the broader economy and if stock the stock market struggles over the next you know, few months? Well, and I think that point about talent and capital is broader than a, a, an investment cycle. Like we, if you really, really zoom out here, uh, some of those fundamentals that have been put in place for Web three looks looks kind of different. Like after the last. Um, bull run in the crypto price, we saw a lot of talent enter the space. And out of that, we get NFTs and we get DeFi and we get all of this, this creativity. 
the talent coming into this space now is 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 just a, a whole different level and it very much is the frontier in technology and seen by many as the frontier it's it's the place to be that and all metaverse and web3 and how all of that sort of sits together and that's a different conversation to crypto price and f- it was very financialized before it was very for financial services now it's about culture it's about community it's about art it's about media it's about heck it's about reinventing telco with the helium network work it's it's really quite broad in terms of the use case and the business model and so that's that's kind of exciting um but kai like uh it's time to get to our predictions i think we're gonna make make a few here we're gonna put our neck on the line let's do this let's do it so starting with prediction one the DeFi mullet and so you know this is a meme we have to give credit to the the bankless uh, crew for for popularizing it uh, but this concept of you know fintech in the front and DeFi in the back, uh, I think we collectively believe is is going to become more and more in style. So tell us about this, Simon. Un- unpack kind of what does the DeFi mullet really mean? Why is 2022 the year that we're going to see this you know really come into fruition? Yeah, so uh, again, there was a great meme, fintech at the front, DeFi at the back. Decentralized finance uh, offers a number of use cases, which is you know a different way to generate yield and get APY for consumers. So instead of getting 0.5%, I might get 5%, but it also offers different types of ways of making them uh, you know, sort of borrowing and, and, and all of these use cases that are coming out of DeFi. And it's a different set of financial rails and different set of financial infrastructure, but it's also really early and kind of hard to use. And because it's hard to use, you kind of have a user experience problem. And who's really good at user experience? Well, it turns out fintech's been doing a pretty great job at that for the past sort of 15 years. One might argue that fintech has done a really good job taking the old financial rails and making them much, much easier to use. So they're in a much better place to make the new financial rails much, much easier to use. And that's sort of a bridge that they get to to play. They get to play this bridging role. And we've seen uh, there's a neobank in the US called Current that is uh, intending to offer DeFi yield to its consumers. We've seen specific fintech companies that offer these sorts of products really launch with debit cards. So I have this debit card. I use it day to day. It looks and feels like a neobank. It just happens to use DeFi under the hood. And I think that's an exciting exciting trend and an exciting way forward. To my mind, this is the biggest thing that's going to happen next year from from uh, in fintech. Like everybody's going to try and get into this space, you know, unless there's some catastrophic crash. And I'm not talking about like even uh, a 90% pull down. I'm talking that things go to zero, then there's too much intent here to do it. So that's like, I think it is the biggest trend. But my question for you, Kai, is a big bank's going to offer crypto in 2022? And how's that going to work? So I think that the question for me really is, you know, on one hand, you have you know, the, the crypto native companies, the exchanges and platforms that are trying to aggressively add you know, fintech, trying to add payment products and other financial services. And then you have you know large banks and, and neobanks really starting to explore you know incorporating crypto you know, into their you know core offerings. And so it's really down to, to who can master you know the other side of the equation uh, first. And I think we're seeing in in one of the predictions I I'd make is that 2022 will be the first time that you know a meaningful number of consumers may start to use a 
crypto platform as their primary financial account. I think today, you know, I don't really know anyone who, you know, has their primary account as a crypto exchange uh, or a crypto wallet. It's just really hard to do. And, and I think to be able to, to get to that point, you need to have, you know, debit card, you probably want to have high yield you know, savings, you want to have, you know, ACH, you know, auto bill pay, you want to get your paycheck deposited there. And, you know, the crypto companies, they have the exciting trading features, they're adding the high yield, they're just now getting to debit cards. They don't, I can't pay my mortgage, you know, using a crypto exchange right now. And so there's some of these kind of basic financial services that still need to be added. But I think right now, it, it, it seems to be that the crypto companies are closer to adding some of those fintech and traditional financial services through partnerships with banks, then the banks are, you know, integrating, you know, really innovative, you know, crypto services. And so I think it'll be interesting to see, and I think a lot of it is going to depend upon the OCC and what the regulatory environment looks like in the US. I think there are a lot of banks that are very interested, uh, but there's, you know, still, you know, some, some, some need for clarity that they can actually be able to offer products that would compete you know, directly with the Coinbase's and, and FTX's of the world. And so I think that's the challenge is, you know, it's very clear Coinbase can partner with a bank and, and offer you know, many existing financial services. It's less clear how large banks are going to enter the space and be able to, to roll out these crypto features. Mm. It's going to be one to watch for sure. I, I do think that you're spot on that there will be people that are, are trying to live entirely in Web3 and in crypto today, but actually can't because they have this off-ramping problem. And they might even have one of those debit cards that comes from an exchange um, and they're using it day to day, but their payroll doesn't go in there or they can't buy things from certain providers day to day. And actually living in this sort of uh, hybrid is like if you, I don't know how many people are employed in Web3 and crypto right now, but they're all hiring like crazy. This has got to be at least a, a segment of a few million people who would like to be paid that way, that would like to live that way. And then they, that may even start to expand. So it's a niche right now. It's it's a relatively small community that wants to live that way. But serving those folks is going to be really interesting. And then what do you get to build on top of that? It's kind of going to be interesting. Uh, I'm interested... How do you think about uh, small businesses in this DeFi mullet space? Is there something outside of the consumer side that could be interesting from an international payments perspective or anything like that? It, it's a good question. I, I think it, it feels like stable coins have reached a point of product market fit for you know early adopting high tech you know crypto native companies that you know if you're building a crypto company today and you're raising money, you're probably going to, have people invest directly using USDC, and you're probably going to, you know, keep some amount of stable coins in your corporate treasury and pay your employees. But it's required using, you know, some crypto native tools. You see, like Gnosis multi-sig wallets and and people that are already comfortable and familiar with crypto. And so I think what will be interesting to see is will 2022 be the first year that we really see a critical mass of non-crypto businesses start to see the benefits of stable coins and you know crypto treasuries and you know that could be interest from businesses that that want to actually you know have bitcoin on their balance sheet and i would imagine there'll be small businesses that have uh that that go to platforms that offer them the ability to do that 
Or it could be you know, platforms like Circle making it really easy for them to hold USDC, to earn yield on USDC, and then to you know, make you know, global payments you know, to vendors and suppliers in USDC. And so you know, I feel like we're still on that edge where you know, most businesses that are in the space, their business is crypto. And so will it cross that chasm to they have nothing to do with crypto, but they see crypto-based treasuries as you know, a, a feature that helps them be able to operate in a more efficient manner. And, and I think the thing I come back to is there's a great interview with um, Bill Gates on, I think, Letterman in the mid-95. And Letterman's making fun of Bill Gates because he asks Bill Gates, what can I do with the internet? And he's like, well, you can listen to the radio or you can send communications. And he's like, well, have you heard of a radio? Have you heard of a telephone? Like, I have all of these things. And like, yes, it's true. Most use cases in crypto can be done via other rails, but they're not natively global. They're not natively 24-7. They're not natively composable to any software engineer. And I think the things that we will start to see as a result of that are going to get really, really interesting out of the back of it. So uh, let's keep watching this space for what people build for small businesses. And in a market where you do have 6% inflation, 6% yield seems like table stakes, and there aren't a lot of money market funds that can really keep up with that. If I can very simply press a button that stores something that looks and feels like US dollars, but gives me a 6% return, that's tempting to anybody in corporate treasury or asset management for sure. So it, it's, it's really a, a great idea at a great point in time. All right. So prediction number one, uh, will big banks offer crypto in 2022? Yeah, maybe, but I think we're much more interested in uh, what the fintech companies do. So will fintechs? Yes, almost certainly. And maybe it's around payroll and being crypto native. Prediction number two, I'm going to start you on this one, Kai. Will regulators kill the momentum in crypto in 2022? I think there's going to be a ton of activity. And I think that this is absolutely going to continue to be top of mind. Uh, but I would argue that that most of the, you know, the most likely outcomes is that you know, there will be more clarity that can help uh, more companies and banks and businesses come into the space. And I think that's what you know, really a lot of people in the crypto industry are asking for. Uh, and if, I think if you take you know, stablecoins you know, as an example, you know, stablecoins are now at you know, $150 billion in circulation. Uh, and so they've already grown you know, massively. I think the market participants uh, that are large payment companies, that are you know, banks, that are businesses, you know, they want to ensure that you know, the way that stablecoins are, are treated and the way that the reserves are managed, you know, there is clarity and, and standards and, and that it's you know, very clear that you know, these can be used uh, across a range of, of different use cases. And, and I think it's in the interest of you know, regulators to you know, create you know, guidance and, and get to the point where you know, these innovations can actually you know, be adopted by a broader set of market participants while mitigating some of the risks from things like you know, where the reserves are, are managed. And so I, I see most outcomes as creating paths for more regulated institutions to be able to come into the space. Now, I think there are a lot of questions around how we get there. Um, and it's, it's not clear <laughs> what, what direction it, it will take. But on a long enough you know, time frame, 
the more that you know people recognize that that this is here to stay, the more consumer demand and the more business demand, I think that's going to put pressure on regulators to to create you know clear guidance of you know how all market participants can use these technologies. Yeah, if you were to try and ban this tomorrow, you'd have public outcry and it would be near impossible to do. China has been quite effective at banning crypto because it controls the internet in a one-party state and the economy in a way that most democracies in the West don't and most nations aren't capable of doing. And then you have to ask the question, um, can they kill it or can they slow it down? Well, they can slow it down. And are they slowing it down for the right reasons and in the right way? Um, I'm actually a lot less concerned about the regulators than I am the policymakers. So the people who set laws and rules, I do think view crypto as this evil, bad, scary thing that is for scams and hacks. Uh, And there is a gap there uh, in terms of intent. And there is a gap there from in terms of reality and the data that I think we need to overcome. And as a result, we're sort of passing rules about crypto without necessarily having really understood what it's about. So I'm much more worried about policy than I am about regulators. Regulators may end up slowing down crypto a little bit, but in the process, they end up legitimizing it um, step by step by step. And the industry is is a is an unstoppable force at this point, uh, unless you fundamentally change how uh, Western governments work, then crypto is is pretty much here to stay and, and potentially becomes this whole other thing, which is a way to compete with China, a way to compete with the one-party state, and a way to really fundamentally rebuild your financial services infrastructure on top of open source protocols. What excited me uh, as I look back in history to 1996 was uh, looking at Section 230 that the Clinton administration brought in around the early days of the internet. And one of the things Section 230 did was declare that um, most people publishing content on the internet were not deemed publishers. Now, that enabled a wave of innovation that we now lovingly call the internet. Um, it may have also had some unintended consequences, but one can't argue it was it was an extremely successful piece of legislation um, because how else would you have uh, brands, creators, media, and everything that's kind of come out of the back of that and the amount of artists that have been discovered, the amount of industries that have been built on the back of it? Do we need a Section 230 moment for crypto? I, I really wonder. Um, and Kai, uh, what are your what are your closing thoughts on this? Are we going to be uh, expecting any specific changes? And how do you think about that internationally as well? So I think as the mainstream adoption of crypto increases, I think it'll be increasingly unpopular for policymakers to be very anti-crypto. You know, you just you, you don't get a lot of votes being anti-crypto. And I think we're also seeing in, in just with examples like the, the infrastructure bill earlier this year, that this industry is full of some of the most intelligent, passionate, well-resourced people who are incredibly good at coordinating online. And so I think we're going to see increased you know, efforts to really scale the participation of the industry, helping to you know, influence and, and shape you know, how policy evolves. And the combination of, of, of those efforts with just the, the demand that consumers have, and particularly mainstream consumers and, and crypto moving from just you know, Bitcoin and just payments to you know, cultural you know, assets with NFTs, I, I think I, I'm very optimistic that you know, particularly in, in the US, you know, it will be a, a unpopular thing to be very anti-crypto uh, because it's what a lot of people want and they're they're voting with their wallets. And 
And I feel like outside of the United States, it'll be really interesting to see which countries really look at this as an opportunity to establish themselves as pro-crypto, to encourage investment um, and be able to to lead in these areas. And, And I think you'll see that in different flavors. You'll see that with Bitcoin in El Salvador. You might see that with DeFi, you know, in other markets. And so it's it's an interesting bet and investment, you know, for you know countries to make in in being pro crypto, you know, because of how much capital and, and innovation is is going into this ecosystem. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Of course, as you say, swarmed up markets is regulated by BaFin in Germany, and Germany has a history of being a very conservative market, and yet actually the German regulator is is actively participating and working with a DeFi protocol, and, and not a lot of people pay attention to uh, to, to advancements like that. Um, so in this section, I got uh, one more big question for you, Kai. Um, will there be one chain to rule them all? Um, you know, because there's there's a lot of crypto net works out there right now and you know especially in the the bull run of the last sort of 12 months there's all kinds of new ones coming out of the woodwork you know who'd heard of solana 12 months ago outside of sam blankman freed at at, at, uh, ftx like this was a small ecosystem now it's one of the biggest market cap chains out there are there too many chains will there be one to rule them all should we all just be bitcoin maximalists it feels like it, in many ways, 2021 was was almost the, the year of these alternative layer ones, you know, these you know, new smart contract platforms, you know, like Solana and, and Avalanche and you know, Terra and, and others that have just you know grown rapidly. I feel like you know, on one hand, you know, Bitcoin has has really just established itself as you know the the most decentralized kind of non-sovereign. You know, money in the sense of, of digital gold. And it's kind of over on its own. And I think Ryan, shout out to, to Ryan Selkis and, and Masari for the, the year-end you know, report. It was amazing. And, and it's really Bitcoin is only competing you know, today mostly with you know, meme coins, which you know, people aren't really taking seriously. Bitcoin is the only like really serious meme that people you know, have a very long-term affinity to this meme and it being the first and the strongest brand, you know, it, it seems like you know, there's a pretty clear market fit for digital gold. I think the question is, you know, what is the upside you know, for you know, the digital gold use case versus for you know, these new you know, Web3 platforms that you know, developers will build all types of applications on top of that we can't imagine? And so now it feels like heading into 2022, the debate is really down to will alternative layer ones establish and grow the developer ecosystem and the on-ramps and the users that you know, Ethereum has, has established over the past few years and be able to compete with lower fees and higher throughput, or will Ethereum layer twos be able to, to gain adoption um, and still leverage Ethereum you know, as this secure settlement layer, but be able to onboard consumers, be able to get on-ramps, be able to have developers build. And I think right now I, I am really, really interested in, in some of the innovation that's happening around Ethereum layer twos and you know, optimistic rollups and ZK rollups. And, and it, it feels like some of the smartest you know, developers you know, in DeFi you know, in Web3 are really spending a lot of time around how can you have this concept of, you know, a, a modular blockchain 
uh, that you know doesn't try and do everything you know on the same layer, but can separate out and actually process transactions on these separate layers. I think one of the challenges is there's a lot of fragmentation in those layer twos. And so when you have five or six different layer twos, it's hard to know which one do you build on? You know, what do exchanges support? We've seen crypto.com at Arbitrum. We've seen Binance at Arbitrum. Uh, and so I think that that's going to be the, the competition of, you know, will Ethereum scale with Ethereum layer twos and be able to get, you know, the adoption of those before layer ones like Solana and Avalanche and Polygon and, and a number of others are able to reach this, this critical mass of developers and of users. And, and I think it's likely that they'll coexist. It's, it's which ones will have the dominant market share you know, across DeFi, you know, NFTs and payments. Will we see the power law continue to play out as it has today, where uh, the dominant players get the majority of the market share, which we've seen with Ethereum and Bitcoin and or Bitcoin and Ethereum to, to order them correctly? Uh, it's also interesting that Jack Dorsey at Square, aka now Block, has sort of left Twitter. He's doubling down on the crypto use cases inside of the business formerly known as Square. And he's got a, a real sort of maximalist worldview, which is uh, we're going to use the Lightning Network, which is the layer two that sits on top of Bitcoin to build an alternative payments rail that works for everybody else. And I look at that business as being, and, and Jack Dorsey is one of the greatest product managers and product builders of all time. Square historically has done a really good job building a two-sided marketplace in the US, but the US alone, in that it has consumers through Cash App, it has merchants through uh, its merchant terminals and all of the problems it solves for those guys. But acquiring Tidal, the music service, and going deeper, and then acquiring Afterpay, the buy now, pay later provider, is really sort of... You can see where they're going as money as culture and culture as money, and they're, they're trying to put all of those pieces together going after the lower income consumer, but also providing crypto buy, sell, hold to those guys made a ton of sense. I think where they're trying to go is Bitcoin and Lightning in particular uh, becomes a way to not only get away from um, slower international rails, but maybe a way to expand them internationally. So uh, certainly believes that Jack Dorsey believes if there isn't going to be one chain to rule them all, there's, there's one chain he can rely on uh, for that sound money use case. But for me, as I reflect on this, pick your meme. Is it Shiba Inu? Is it something else? Or is it actually something that, that, that's got more momentum behind it? Um, so my own prediction, there will never be one chain to rule them all because as long as there's people, there'll be people making more chains. But we probably will see that power law continue to play out uh, where the, the largest sort of five to 10 get the vast majority of the benefit and there'll always be people in the chasing pack. And it probably evolves a little bit like the big tech ecosystem where they all specialize in different things. Some of them do a lot of things that are similar and they rub up against each other, but some of them don't. So uh, interesting that those aren't companies, but there's something else. I would say like there's absolutely like, I, I completely understand the benefit of, of focus, you know, for Square and, and by being very focused on Bitcoin, they're able to have a, a really significant uh, impact on the ecosystem. And I think they also you know, appeal to uh, a set of consumers who are very interested in, in Bitcoin. I, I think that the question is is really, you know, how Bitcoin, uh, you know, ends up, you know, working as as a payment rail, you know, even with Lightning, um, the ability to scale it, there's still the question of will consumers, you know, want to spend it? I think we're still at a period of time 
when you know I don't want to spend my Bitcoin, and, and there there's just this this ingrained you know part of the meme of it being a store of value in digital gold is is that notion of of it's something that you hold on to, and so I'm really interested to see if with the the talent that that Square has and and with their ecosystem, are they able to get consumers you know willing to actually you know depart with their Bitcoin and and spend it you know over new rails like like the Lightning Network. And do they end up replicating the stablecoin world that exists in Ethereum and doing so because of their true belief in, in all things Bitcoin? So, yeah, what's the right tool for the job is, is a fair question. We are just going to take a quick pause here so we can hear from our sponsors and we'll be back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibility and Visa is helping everyone take part. Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like Fintech FastTrack, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. Hey folks, over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. Alrighty, thank you so much to our sponsors. Coming back in, Kai, it's it's the NFT section. Let's do this. Are NFTs going to die in 2022? Is the fad finally going to end? I think that's extremely unlikely. I, I think NFTs are here for the long term. Any individual NFT project, it's incredibly difficult to predict you know, what's going to happen with it. But NFTs as a primitive, you know, that can power so many different use cases and applications, I think it's it's very clear that they're here to stay. I think it's it's interesting to to try and predict you know, what verticals will NFTs expand into and where will they be the most relevant? Uh, and I think, you know, very few people really expected in 2021, you know, to see art and to see, you know, profile pictures and avatars. It's like, that wasn't really a category that existed, you know, over a year ago, but those have, have found a, a very clear product market fit. Uh, I think one of the really interesting areas to look out for that I am really optimistic for for 2022 is NFTs coming into music. Uh, and I think music being you know, really a, another category of art that has you know, incredibly passionate you know, fans, has incredibly innovative uh, creators and, and musicians. And we're seeing more and more musicians really starting to experiment with what can they do with, you know, individual you know, NFT you know, records, or what can they do with, with beats that are tokenized as, as NFTs? And so you know, songs themselves, I feel like are kind of viral products. And you know, there's a, a broader market of, of people today who are passionate about and listen to, to music than there probably is that are collecting art. Uh, and so I, I think 2022 could be you know, the first year that we see some you know, breakout successes of musicians who leveraged NFTs, you know, as a, a major part, um, you know, of their, their career. And I think it's more likely to come from new music musicians that are discovered and, and become popular than it is existing musicians. 
And so that's one prediction that, that I'd make is, you know, music could end up being bigger than art, you know, as a category for NFTs, bringing a whole new class of consumers in. That's a heck of a prediction. Uh, mine as well is the skeuomorphism uh, starts to go away. Everybody's looking at NFTs and there's the old meme of right-click, save as. Uh, but actually, there'll be much more NFT-native content, things that you can only do when I have art with functionality, art that changes over time. So we've seen a lot around generative art where the time of day or uh, when we are now physically changes what the art actually looks like. Um, and that is something that's coming from the Ethereum blockchain that's defining that through an algorithm so that the piece of art I hold is different to the piece of art somebody else holds. And I think adding this functionality around art as well are like airdrops. So I, ha I have this, uh, this proof that I was at an event and then at a later date, anybody who buys that proof of being at that event off me could receive an airdrop. So uh, the, the metaphor I often hear about is like, imagine you were at some final game of your favorite sports team and you had the ticket stub and then you sold that ticket stub on eBay to somebody else. There is no way for the people who issued that ticket stub to know who now holds that ticket stub and be able to send them special memorabilia. You know, they could create a database to do it, but there's no way intrinsically to issuing the ticket stub that they know the answer to that question. With NFTs, that's completely different. I don't need to know who you are, but I can tell who has that original ticket stub that was issued, that, pr that was given to you because you were there. So what are those use cases going to look like? What are brands going to do with it? It's not just, hey, we've issued a collection of something that's got our intellectual property on it, but what does it look like when it's like using this stuff for what it's actually good at? And I go back to that Bill Gates example. When you think about like, well, what are we going to use the internet for? Oh, well, we're going to use it to consume content. Okay, but I can do that today. Have you heard of a television? Like, I think we are stuck in that sort of space a little bit and we'll start to see the real advantages come out more and more in time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the other NFT trend that I would expect is uh, I, I could see there being a lot more projects that leverage non-transferable NFTs and, you know, badges that, that people are earning. And we could start to see this, you know, Web3 native LinkedIn Emerge, particularly when we have you know all of these DAOs popping up with people contributing to all these different communities, the ability to have a history connected to your address of you know things that you've participated in, things that you've accomplished, and it's not about you know a financial asset that you're you know trading or collecting, but it becomes your your on-chain resume, uh, and so I think we'll see a lot more you know, from all the work that's done building some of these new communities and products, you know, there will be, you know, potentially, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of people who have these amazing new on-chain resumes and diplomas that are denoted as NFTs that then make them, you know, really sought after, you know, for, you know, new communities that that want to recruit them in the future. And so I think that's going to become a, a major, you know, new trend for how work gets done in, in this space. What do you think about diversity in NFTs? Because we've seen an awful lot of um, gender disparities, ethnic and cultural disparities. 77% of NFT art sales are going to male creators. Like it, can this change and, and will it? Yes, I, I think it absolutely can. And, and I think it's, it takes a lot of effort to change it, but I, I'm very confident that it will. And, and I think for, on, on one hand, like, 
there are amazing artists of all different backgrounds uh, and creators that are here today. And so it's not that they're not here. I think it's it's more about discovery and it's more about bringing in collectors uh, who have an intention and and want to support you know these these artists and the type of work you know that they're doing. Uh, and so to me, it's it's really important. Uh, I think it's it's more necessary to onboard you know collectors and diverse collectors who want to support you know diverse artists. And I think we'll start to see more of that in in 2022. One of the trends that that I've seen you know as a collector of, of black crypto art and you know getting to know a lot of amazing artists like Micah Johnson and uh, you know uh, Sirsu who we had on the, the show a while ago is we're seeing that a lot of the leading you know artists they are then you know going on and taking their success and supporting other artists. And so when there's a, a big sale, you know, that that happens, they're then taking that and going and becoming collectors and helping to, to bring up the, the next class. And so I think that there is a really powerful, you know, tight knit community, particularly of, of black NFT and crypto artists today. It's really about how do we onboard you know, more collectors, you know, give them more visibility and help them you know, reach a broader audience. And I think, you know, as music you know, becomes you know, another major you know, vertical uh, you know, there's a, a huge opportunity, you know, to help, you know, underrepresented creators be able to, to benefit from this space. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey. Uh, so last topic, prediction number five, Web3, Metaverse, is that a buzzword or is it actually going to happen next year? It all depends kind of what you define as, as what does the Metaverse, you know, happening mean? I, I'm really interested to see, you know, if, some of these, you know, virtual, uh, these Web3 native virtual worlds uh, start to catch on from a, a gaming perspective, you know, with Sandbox and, and Decentraland and, and others. I, I was just watching a, a video, you know, of a, a concert, a DJ playing a set, you know, inside of Decentraland. And there were like hundreds of avatars uh, running around and, and dancing. And, and it was, it's interesting to see that there's, it feels like there are these two, you know, parallel approaches of you have, you know, Roblox and existing centralized metaverse environments uh, that you have large brands, you know, coming into, you know, partnering, you know, for commerce and, and for events. And then you have these kind of open, you know, bottoms up uh, worlds, you know, like Decentraland and Sandbox, where people are you know, acquiring digital land, and then they're building experiences on top of it feels like the centralized ones are a lot more polished today and it's easier for them to be able to have you know higher production value but the decentralized ones are a lot more interesting because people can take a long term view and can be able to you know actually own you know part of these properties and invest in building very interesting things that you know, one corporation may not you know think of and so i think that's going to be the really interesting contrast over the coming year as people spend more time in these spaces, you know, will the you know decentralized ones create experiences that bring mainstream consumers and become easier to use, uh, or will the centralized ones end up finding ways to you know embed or bridge into you know crypto and, and NFTs? And it's not clear that that's in their interest to do right now. And so I think we could have these parallel options of which metaverse do you want to interact with and depending on the time frame, you know, you're going to get different things within them. 
And that'll play out over or over many, many years in the future. It's interesting. If you imagine back with Web 2 in 2006, pretty much every corporate in the world was trying to find people who knew about Web 2 and build a Web 2 strategy. And that's sort of happening now with Web 3 and it's sort of happening with Metaverse. And you see the incumbents trying to figure out how I use this new paradigm. Uh, but Web 2 is more likely to build uh, and did build brand new massive businesses um, that were not around in the previous paradigm. And it's not like uh, that other um, businesses in the economy didn't consume it. They just didn't benefit from that change in, in quite the same way. Uh, so there was a really good piece by Ben Evans, um, Benedict Evans, on his website. He, he publishes his annual presentation on the major trends. And he talks about the great rebranding. And he talks about cryptocurrencies moving from a conversation about being a store of value, payments and money transfer to Web3, which is new models for building software, internet businesses and, and networks. And that is a good shift because it shifted the functionality to the business model. And that's what's really, really changed here. And similarly, we used to talk about VR and AR and niche headsets, a tool, science projects. And now we're talking about the next platform after smartphones. Like what's that thing that connects all of our digital devices and what are the experiences that sort of do that? And it's almost a flip from like the functional use of the infrastructure into like what are the experiences that are, the consumers are going to have and, and take. And Web3 is kind of this flip from... In fact, um, Ben Evans had a really good um, description of Web 1, Web 2, and Web 3. So in Web 1, users read, publishers create. In Web 2, users create, but networks control and make money and monetize. In Web 3, users create, users control the networks and make money from them. And that where all owners meme starts to, starts to kick in. And I think once that lands, once people realize what's fundamentally different here is the business model, then we'll start to see a lot of creativity unleashed. And the things that are being built over last year, this year, next year, we might not really see like the full-on, full-on impact of that for quite some time. But when we do, it's going to be this whole other thing. Uh, I'm with Chris Dixon on it. Over a 20-year time horizon, this is bigger than Web 2. On a uh, one-year time horizon, you barely even notice it, and you could call it a bubble. So we're at the top of the hype cycle, and it, and it could even be poo-pooed by people, told you it wasn't going to be a big deal. Oh, look at all those silly buzzwords. But actually, it, it's kind of a flip. Do you think I'm wrong on that? Do you think we'll see actual a significant amount more momentum? I feel like it's it's it may be led by gaming. And I think that's another just trend for 2022, where gaming seems to be you know, one of the most natural applications where you know you could see the shift from web 2 to web 3 we've already had you know the tremendous success of of Axie you know as a as a case study and there's so much energy and momentum of really talented game developers and designers you know coming in where you know the future the next generation of popular games may very well likely be built on top of crypto infrastructure and I think we're finally getting to the point where you know you have the scalability that's necessary, whether it's you know layer ones like Solana or, or layer twos you know like Starknet. And so I wouldn't be surprised if 2022 you know we see you know some Web3 gaming experiences that onboard you know 20 million customers. You know if you look at what Axie's done with just you know two to three million, and so there could be some some pretty large sized virtual economies that are kind of built independently from the ground up, you know, if someone can combine 
you know, a you know fun and, and entertaining you know game and, and world, you know, with the ability to to truly you know own the assets uh, in it. And so it's it's fascinating to me that like the whole ecosystem benefits from each user that onboards into a crypto wallet on that network. And so you know we might have you know, a few hundred million uh, crypto wallet, you know, unique crypto wallets uh, that exist you know across the world today. You know, if there's a game that that comes in and, and onboards an additional 20 million people to setting up their first crypto wallet, now all those people have access to every other you know Web3 experience that exists. And so it, it I, I think there will be some mainstream experiences that lead to these inflection points that then draw more developers in and it creates this cycle that now it's really easy. I just show up to you know this new experience and connect my wallet and can be able to, to bring my assets with me uh, from one experience to another. And so I, I feel like gaming is the most likely vertical you know, it, before social media, you know, before some others that seems prime for a breakout year in, in 2022. I think the wallet is the most underrated innovation um, and misunderstood innovation because people see it as this. Uh, when you hear wallet, you think money, you think Google Pay, PayPal, you think uh, even Coinbase, BlockFi, MetaMask, you think money, you think moving value. But actually, it's this whole other thing. To me, what wallets have really done is made PKI infrastructure, the ability to sign a message as as me, something that's more generally available. And the second thing it's done is it's really flipped where data sits um, and who's in control of the login. So in the traditional paradigm, like if I was going to log in, I can log in with my Google credentials. I can log in with my Facebook credentials. Apple are trying to own that login experience. And that's one way of looking at the world. Another way of looking at the world is I aggregate everything myself and I take that to the application. And that's a, a just a real flip that I think once people really grok um, that, the implications become really, really interesting. Uh, that I can take my asset to any application. I can take the things I own and the things I've done historically to any application, rather than the application trying to come to me or trying to issue me a wallet and and operating in that closed ecosystem. The use case space just completely explodes. So I think in order to understand Web3 and Metaverse, you have to understand the benefits of decentralization, the benefits of a wallet, and start thinking about what would it look like if there was a universal login for everything, and that universal login for everything also allowed me to prove things, sign things as as a unique individual consistently. That login through Web3, I think, is, is going to be a really interesting space to watch. Um, all right, closing this one out, Kai, we've only got a couple minutes left. What's your most unpopular prediction for 2022? Oh, my. Unpopular. So for one thing, I, I think we'll just one weird thing that I would expect to happen. And I, I think we kind of saw this a bit with, you know, Constitution DAO is I think we're going to have, you know, a DAO emerge that is able to accumulate probably over a hundred million dollars of capital and actually deploy that for, you know, something in the real world that is offline. And so I would not be surprised to see a you know, reboot of, of a Firefest uh, type of you know, music festival that is entirely coordinated, you know, through tokens and fundraised with tens of thousands of people, you know, across Discord groups. 
And it's just really hard to imagine like what weird new experiences will exist when people can coordinate and deploy that capital. And I think part of the challenge has been everything's happened just you know in a you know digital realm and DAOs haven't really crossed over to influencing the physical world. And I think 2022 will be one of the first years that there is massive capital that is spent you know, on real world events or projects that is actually raised and coordinated in a virtual environment you know, across the world. And so I don't know if that's unpopular, but I feel like a lot of people, particularly TradFi, it's such a weird thing you know, when it moves from just, you know, let's collect one object you know, to let's, you know, start to, you know, buy land and create an amusement park or a music festival or do all types of things that, you know, people, when they get together with their friends on the internet, you know, could, you know, possibly come up with, with doing. What about you? What, what's your unpopular prediction? We're not all going to make it. That actually crypto is a power law and run by whales and ultimately not as uh, nearly as inclusionary as it claims to be. And that's a real fundamental problem. Uh, in fact, if anything, uh, it's rife with market manipulation and that's going to get found out in 2022 and we need to do something about it as a community. I think we have to put our hand on our heart and say market manipulation has to stop. It's too easy to flip NFTs. It's too easy to wash trade. How are we as a community going to deal with those real issues and those real problems. It's the conversation we're not having and it's the conversation we need to have. I think it's great to talk about the benefits of the technology and Lord knows I'm an optimist and I do believe in those benefits. But unless we acknowledge the risk, you're never going to bring the mass market to it and you're never going to solve those. You're just going to create a, a massive problem. So that would be my, my most unpopular thing. Do you, do you agree with that? Any thoughts? Am I wildly wrong? No, are we, are I, we all going to make it after all? I, <laughs> I, I am a delusional optimist, and so I, I like to, to think we're all going to make it. Yeah, I, I think people's first experience with crypto is is going to be so important, and you know it's concerning. You know when you see you know experiences that are you know about you know 100 APYs uh, that you know people see in a YouTube video, and and that's their on ramp and the way they come into the space. And so I I think that there's you know. There, there has to be a way that you can, you know, educate and provide resources and, and have on ramps that are, you know, able to let someone dip their toes in and create, you know, mint an NFT, uh, you know, have NFTs move beyond, you know, just thinking about these as financial assets and more about, you know, consuming something. I'd much rather have people, you know, approach NFTs not as trading but as as collecting and owning and things that they actually you know, want to have. And so it's it's tough. I, I feel like there's this balance of you want to have people have an opportunity to participate in new asset classes and to earn the the upside of them, but you need to protect against you know blatant fraud and, and misinformation. And you know you can't have an NFT project say, if you buy my NFT, you know, I it's gonna go up 10x and, and have people buying with that expectation. And so, how do you how do you manage expectations, and and how do you provide you know quality information and education at scale? I think is one of the biggest problems and, and challenges that the industry has, and we can't just rely on on regulators to to solve it. And I think the risk is if if the industry doesn't solve it, then you know the innovation can can be hampered if you take an approach of of trying to just prevent consumers from accessing anything in crypto. And so that's going to be one of the, the biggest challenges and balances to, to find. 
I'm excited by what this creative bunch of talented people could do to solve those problems. Because the starting point of regulating something that is digital with an analog mental model probably doesn't make sense. Like the reason the SEC was created was to deal with the 1929 um, stock market crash and the public outcry that something must be done. We must protect the consumer. This, this must never happen again. And when you're building a new product from a place of optimism, you don't think about the unhappy path. But ask any entrepreneur who's built a neobank, very quickly the fraudsters find you, the, the people trying to launder money find you, and you have to build up this uh, this sort of callous and this ability to deal with with the uh, the unhappy paths. And so being thoughtful about that as a community is my, is my hope for the next year and that we can do more of that. But on that sort of like vaguely unhappy note for 2022, um, I'm going to close this out and um, wrap up today's discussion. Uh, thanks, Kai, for joining me. Um, what's your hope for 2022 and where can people find out more about you? My hope for 2022, I, I think it's, it's, my hope is one that more people, you know, can onboard into this space in, in a responsible way and, and can onboard as, as builders as, as well. And I think, you know, shifting this mindset, you know, from consuming, you know, digital products to, to being able to actually, you know, produce something and sell online, I feel like is, is such an, an inspirational experience. You know, if you've ever sold something online before, I feel like it, it kind of opens this entrepreneurial element in everyone. And so that's why I love NFTs so much is it, it gives people, you know, for the first time they can, you know, find a way to support an artist, they can create, they can collect, and they can, you know, be rewarded for identifying and, and curating. And so, yeah, I think NFTs are going to continue to to onboard, you know, a new class of people into the space. And I'm hopeful that, you know, there will be really positive experiences that, that they have. Uh, but that's my hope. Uh, you can find me on, on Twitter at, at Kai Sheffield uh, and visa.com slash crypto. Incredibly excited for 2022 and, and all of the energy and momentum in the space today. Let's go do this. Uh, you can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or Simon at 11FS.com. Remember, if you like what you heard, remember to like the show, um, subscribe, uh, leave us a review. That helps us out so, so much. And that's it for now. I shall catch you all next time. Take care.